Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Welcome to Three Creeks. My name is Joel. I get to be the pastor here. I have a friend with me today uh, because we are in a series called The Curious Case of Jesus Christ. And we, for the last six weeks, have been walking through the life of Jesus in reverse, all coming towards Christmas Eve Eve here in just six days from today. But I think I've shared this in every message so far, and I'm going to share it again right now. It's that Jesus Christ, no matter where you're at on God or religion or church, Jesus Christ is the most compelling, influential person in the history of the world, and it's not even close. He, it, is, it is by all accounts, Jesus, the influence that he has had is, is incalculable. And one person that Three Creeks loves is Lydia Gilger. She is here. She's a missionary with YWAM. Let's give it up for, Lil, for Lydia for being here with us today. She has... She's about to tell you where she came from. She's traveled a long way to be here with us, and her life is compelled by the person of Jesus. You're living for him uh, in a special and unique way, and I want to invite you to tell everybody about that. So uh, maybe you could just tell us where have you been since the last time that we saw you? Yeah, a little bit of everywhere, but specifically within the past six months, I've been to Poland, Ukraine, and Egypt, and then after my time in the nations there, I came back to staff at YWAM Maui right after the Lahaina fires died down in mid-August, and while I was there, I participate in the training of our students that come for our discipleship training school, and they just got sent out to nations like Hong Kong, Japan, uh, Nepal, Costa Rica, the Philippines, and nations like that. Yeah, it's, it's fun to be reminded when you say all those places that we're not the only group of Christians or, or churches that are gathering all over the world. They're, they're, it's happening everywhere. What have you personally had the chance to do in some of those places over the last year? Yeah. A lot of refugee work, uh, primarily uh, in Ukraine and Poland. We worked with refugees coming in from the east of the country. And the ministry that we used to meet with these people was food. We cooked for them. We ate with them. We listened to their stories. They listened to ours. And we just had the opportunity to practically love them through tangible service. And then in Egypt, I was a part of something that we call the Worldview Workshop. And we, again, worked with refugees, but with the Sudanese people. And so there, I primarily did administrative work for this workshop. But I also had the privilege of teaching a session on Bible overview. And in this, I had the opportunity to depict why a belief in the Bible and a belief in the narrative of Scripture not only invokes change in individuals, but can invoke change in nations. And then after coming back from my time in Egypt, uh, I returned to the island of Maui, like I said, right after the Lahaina fires. And since then, other than just training our students, I'm a part of a team called the Fire Response Team. And it's a team comprised of five individuals, and we oversee YWAM's involvement in the relief effort, whether that be networking with other organizations on island, inviting teams to come stay with us and serve, or uh, sending out our own staff to, yeah, serve along them. That's awesome. So... You know, and from, from the seat that I get to sit in, getting to know you when you graduated high school, you're going to YWAM for, at that point, what, six, nine months, something like that. 
and then to see it turn into you being on staff for almost five years. She's now training the other YWAM students to go and take the gospel to these places that she's mentioning. I just, on behalf of our church, want to tell you that we're so proud of you, and we're cheering you on, and we want to know how can we pray for you right now. Yeah. So I am home for the holidays, home for Christmas, so I think rest uh, in this season and a good time reconnecting with loved ones and family, uh, and then also grace in transitioning back to the island in a new role, a new position. Uh, and along with that, I would also say vision, vision from the Lord on how he wants to best use me uh, in the work of his kingdom, specifically in the next couple years. Yeah. I don't think you're technically allowed to ask this question, but I'm going to try anyways. How old are you? I'm 23. 23 years old and just living her life totally sold out for Jesus and then coming here and articulating so well what God is doing in and through her life. We are just so, we're so proud of you and grateful for you. So I'm going to pray for Lydia. Will you guys join me in praying for her? Lord, we come before you and ask on behalf of Lydia for rest we pray that this Christmas break would be a real break and that you, by your spirit, would rejuvenate her and help her to get ready for this new role. God, would you cover her with your grace as she transitions to a new role with new students coming in? And I pray, God, that she would not just get stuck in the idea that this is just work, but Lord, you would remind her that this is the Lord's work. This is God's work and that that in and of itself would be rejuvenating. I pray for fresh vision towards the future, for what the rest of 2024 looks like and beyond. We pray, God, that you would guide her and guard her and lead her by your spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time for Lydia, for being in our family. <clears throat> Lydia has come and gone over the years. Her family, Jeff and Beth, and her siblings have been here as a, a part of our family for years. So uh, we're just really proud of you. One of the key pieces of our DNA here at Three Creeks is that we care about people around the world. And I, as the pastor, want to continue to expose you to places and people where God is working that you might not be aware of. I want you to know that what you're, what you're attending here this morning is so much bigger than what you think that it is. Um, I, a couple weeks ago... We talked about uh, two people in our church named Trevor and Madeline. And Madeline went on a trip to Africa in 2018. And Trevor joined our church about that time as well. And because of their mutual love for God and his work around the world and going on some of these short-term trips, they got married and are moving to Southeast Asia in a couple months. We talked about this some in October. I talked about wanting to be the best sending church in the world, and we're going to have a chance to do that. One way, uh, and just so you know, maybe, maybe a 30-second flyover of what they're going to do. They are going to move to a place that takes two-plus days to get there, and it's in a valley, and there's 400,000 K people in Southeast Asia, and there's no known Christian believer among them. And Trevor and Madeline are going to go there to try to take the good news of Jesus to this place and so that they might know what God did on Christmas 2,000 years ago, sending his son to die for our sins. And so we, we can't wait for them to get to do that. One of the ways that we can participate is in six days, we're going to have a special time of giving. We only do this once a year. 
special time of giving, Christmas Eve Eve, where uh, Chris and Amy already said it, two services, four and six. Every dollar that's donated that night is going to go to help Trevor and Madeline move their well. And so I hope that you'll show up. I'm just telling you about it now so that you can pray and maybe even prepare. You can bring your checkbook, apparently, is what your, uh, the kids are doing these days. They're back into checks. Um, no, but we've, we've made it so easy that you, you could even Venmo. We have made it that easy. So uh, we're doing all those things because we really believe in what uh, God is doing through them in that place. So because of where they're going, though, it's going to be pretty tough to take a team of people there. For a lot of different reasons, we're going to be able to send one or two or three people, perhaps, but it's going to be tough to take a short-term mission trip to the place that they're going for a couple different reasons. And so, uh, as, as the pastor of this church and wanted to continue to expose you to what God's doing around the world, I'm excited to tell you that in 2024, we want to put, uh, we want to extend the invitation, the opportunity for everybody in our church to take a short-term missions trip. And so we've been working behind the scenes. I'm excited to reveal that to you now. By the way, this is a picture of Trevor and Madeline. Oh, there they are. And Harvey. Oh man, little Harvey. And uh, anyway, so the first one uh, that we are going to get to do is that we're partnering with a, an organization called Shoulder to Shoulder, and they're headquartered in Mazatlan, Mexico. Mazatlan is a city of 900,000 people, so it's half the size, roughly, of Columbus, and this ministry works year-round, partnering with local Mexican pastors and Mexican churches. And this organization invites churches from the United States to come down and partner with one church in Mexico and support them. What that looks like is different church to church based on who goes from our team, what their church's needs are. But the idea is that every year we could go and support the same church over and over and over. So it might look like a construction project. It might be a sports camp or a VBS. It might be poverty relief and food distribution. And it could be even other things other than that. But the idea is that we ask the church, hey, what do you need? And they ask us, what do you have to offer or give skill-wise? And they match us up and we go and get to serve in Mexico. And so that trip is already set for about the middle of November. I'll tell you the dates here in just a second. If you've never been on a short-term missions trip before, if you've never seen a place that God is doing work outside of, you know, the United States or even in, in Guyana, then you've, this would be the greatest opportunity for you to jump in and say, yep, I'll go there. I'll do it. I'll raise the money. I'll, I'll, I'll go for a week and see what God's doing somewhere else. I think that'd be awesome. So that's coming. Here's the other one. Uh, it's a, another organization called Three Strands. And when I heard their name, I thought, Three Strands, Three Creeks, it just has to be. And so they have a hospital and a remote clinic in the Central African Republic. They have a few things going on in Haiti as well, but we are going to lean more towards going to the Central African Republic. This is a picture of the hospital. There's six or seven buildings that are there. They have another clinic that's an hour or two outside of this. And they're looking for a team of about six to eight people to come over this fall. We want three or four of them. The best way to say this is we want three or four of them to usually wear scrubs. In other words, you're kind of a part of the medical world. You're a dentist or a doctor or a nurse or something in that sphere. And they want half the team to be 
medical, and then, then they said the other half of the team can kind of do whatever. They can serve with a lot of different skills. The hospital obviously has lots of different needs. One of the most unique things about this ministry specifically is that it's nationally led. They are raising up leaders from the CAR to do this work. Hundreds and thousands of people are visiting the hospital. Hundreds of people are putting their faith in Jesus because their physical needs are being met. And we want to go and be a part of it. So that trip is going to be from about, you know, in between mid-October and mid-December. Somebody after the first service texted me and said, is it a two-month trip? And I said, no, it's just going to be in there, you know. So it kind of depends on maybe who goes and the dates are somewhat flexible. And um, let me make sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the cool things about this is uh, the medical world in CAR, once you're a nurse or a doctor or you're trained up and you get your certificate, there's no requirement for ongoing training. So imagine that. You learn what you learn when you're 24 and then that's what you use for the rest of your career. Well, in the United States, it's a little different. And, and so what we get to do is if you're a part of that team that goes over there in the morning... You get to serve people, serve patients. In the afternoon, you get to do some ongoing medical training for their staff. So as an example, this is a picture of a nurse that went over. She was teaching a new way to look at x-rays and, and put casts on broken bones. You can see the cast. She's putting it on the doctor. He's filming it because this is his training on how to do it for somebody else when she leaves. And so I'm, I'm fired up. If you've ever wanted to go to Africa and serve God in, in, a, in that kind of context, this would be a great opportunity to jump in. So here are the dates for the trips. Mexico, November 16 to 23. That's a typo. We're going next year, not last week. And then Central African Republic, mid-October through mid-December. That's going to be a long trip. No, it's going to be about 10 or 12 days maybe in that you know, period of time, depending on who wants to go on the trip. If you're interested... If you go, yeah, I want to hear more about that. I want to ask some questions. How much does it cost? When are we going? Do I have to get a visa? Those kinds of questions. January 28th, after, during the second service. So you got to come to first service that day. During second service, we're going to have an info meeting for both of those trips. Would love for you to come, ask questions, be a part of it. Even if you're not going to go, just come and learn and be a part of it. The director of Three Strands, the hospital, is going to come and do a presentation even if you're not going, just go to that. It's going to be awesome. And, and then I'll say one final thing. If I'm sharing this and you're like, this is pretty cool. Like, I, I really like this. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do, participate in, be a part of. Let me just tell you that we need some help leading these teams and leading these trips. Even if you've never done that before. I'll just go back and say, Madeline went on a trip in 2018 and in 2019 led the trip by herself because Three Creeks is not a church where we look at the staff and go, you do all the stuff. It's a, it's a church that believes that God has equipped you to do the work of the ministry, right? So this is not a, you know, tell me, you know, just fall, I'll fall in line, tell me what I got to do. This is no, like I'm asking you, do you feel called to be a part of this and maybe even lead out in front of it and help be a part of organizing it and getting things ready to go. So if that's you, if you're like, yep, I'm in, tell me where to sign up, just find me in the hallway. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that might look like. All right, so that's exciting. I was excited to share that, and thanks for tuning in. We're going to jump into today's message, our week six of seven in the curious case of Jesus Christ, who has compelled us to do these things 
He is the most compelling person in the history of the world. Let me ask you a question. How, uh, how many times, or, or maybe, let me, let me ask it this way. How many stories are written about Jesus between when he is one day old and 30 years old? The first five weeks of this series, every story we've told has been after he turns 30 years old. How many stories are written between when he's born and when he's 30? Some of you may know the answer. There's only two. There's just two stories. We know a little bit about his life. We know that he went to Egypt for a period of time because, remember, Joseph took Mary and Jesus and went to Egypt when he was young, but then he came back. We, we, we know, we don't know, we think that Jesus probably grew up as a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter and most Jewish boys did what their dad did. But the two stories that are written about Jesus are in Luke chapter 2. One of them, he's six weeks old, and he's presented in the temple between feedings, probably. And then we have this story where Jesus is 12 years old. He's like a sixth grader. And it's the only story recorded about this person, Jesus, between when he's six weeks old and 30 years old. And so that's the story that we're going to look at today. So if you've got a Bible, turn it on, turn into it. Luke chapter 2, it's the last 10 or 11 verses of the chapter. And here's my plan this morning. I'm going to walk us through the story. I'm going to try to tell it in a way that might help you imagine even being there. I want to tell you about the culture and the context that makes the story come alive. And at the end of telling the story, I'm going to ask you one simple but yet very important question. Every December, when you're eight days away from Christmas, you ought to ask yourself this one question that I will ask you here in a little bit. So Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Remember, Jesus is 12 years old. Verse 41, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Every year, they went to Jerusalem, the capital city. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph lived in Nazareth, which is about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. So every year, they traveled 100 miles, no car, traveled 100 miles all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so it begs the question, what is the Passover? What is this festival of the Passover that that Luke is referring to? The Passover, best way to describe it, is Thanksgiving plus Christmas plus 4th of July all slammed into one. It is the holiday of the year. It's not one day long. It's a whole week long. Families coming from all over the country. Feasts are being served in people's homes. I mean, thousands of people are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of the Passover. And so then that begs another question, what is the Passover and why are they celebrating it so crazily like this? Well, rewind about a couple thousand years all the way to the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. The Jews, Mary and Joseph, Jesus, their ancestors, thousands of years earlier, were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. That's where the Israelites were at in the beginning of the book of Exodus. Enslaved for 400 years. And God, through Moses, delivers the Israelites 
delivers the Jewish people and brings them into the desert for a little bit, but then into the promised land. He, he delivers them from slavery. How does he do that? Do you remember? If you, if you read some of the book of Exodus, you see that, that God sends plagues on the nation of Egypt for enslaving the Israelites and the Jews. And Pharaoh hardens his heart and he says, I will not let these people go. And Moses says, let them go. Then over and over, and the frogs come, and the gnats come, and the boils come, and you think that's bad until you get to the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn son. And God sends instructions through Moses to the people of Israel. He says, listen, if you kill an unblemished, spotless lamb, and you take the blood of that lamb, the blood of that sacrifice, and you put it on your doorposts, Then when this plague comes, I will pass over you and I will spare the life of your firstborn son. I will pass over you. If you put your faith in the blood of the lamb, you will be saved. Does that line ring any bells? Is something maybe Jesus is about to do? It's a foreshadowing of what we're going to see Jesus do 33 years after, well, not My math's not that good, so I can't do that math that fast, but you get what I'm saying. Jesus is going to do this again, and God is going to pass over again those that put their faith in the blood of the Lamb. And so for thousands of years, once a year, for a whole week, they get together and they go, do you remember when God passed over and spared us and delivered us? And they've been passing this story on from generation to generation to generation, and they celebrate and they throw a party because that's what God did for them. Well, apparently, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they went to Jerusalem every year to celebrate this thing. It doesn't say that Jesus went every year, though. Look at verse 42. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. I don't know for sure if this is his first time, but it definitely indicates that Jesus, when he was 12, finally got to go. It was the custom for him to go when he was 12. Do you know what a bar mitzvah is? A bar mitzvah is for a Jewish boy who is turning 13. He's, it's a religious initiation ceremony because he's ready to observe the religious precepts and eligible to take part in public worship. That's what a bar mitzvah is. But that's for when someone turns 13. Jesus is just 12. And by the way, if it's a girl, it's a bat mitzvah, not a bar mitzvah. At age 13, though, Jesus is 12. So what's this about? It was the custom at the time that if you had a 12-year-old child, you could bring them to Jerusalem for the Passover so that they could get a sneak peek into what they were going to enter into that year. They didn't want everything to be so overwhelming after the bar mitzvah And so they said, why don't you come along? Why don't you take a look? Why don't you see what your ancestors are like when they celebrate, when they remember, so that you can understand kind of what you're getting yourself into. Because once you have your bar mitzvah, once you have that celebration, you're in. So let's go take a look and let's go see what it's like. And so Mary and Joseph said, Jesus, you get to come with us this year. Well, look at verse 43. The story takes a turn for the worst. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and they were unaware of it. They forgot Jesus in Jerusalem. 
They lost him. They end up traveling a whole day unaware that Jesus is not with them. Were you ever lost as a kid? Have you ever lost a kid? It is a memorable experience to say the least. Three or four weeks ago, Thanksgiving Day, the trainer family was up in Detroit. We're going to go to the big parade that's in Detroit. Thanksgiving Day, we're fired up. We've got our hand warmers in our pockets. We've got our coats on, hats on, ready to take in the parade. We're there. We're waiting. Thousands of people lining the side of the street. And I said, oh, I forgot. There's a sleeping bag in the car. I'll go get it so that kids can put it on their laps while they're sitting there watching the parade. I said, Judah, my five-year-old son, why don't you come with me? So we walked a couple blocks. We got the sleeping bag. We came back. We're there, ready to take in the parade. And I see Morgan, my wife, and I see Cooper, my seven-year-old, but my three-year-old, Willow, is nowhere to be seen. And Morgan says, where's Willow? And I said, well, I thought you had her. And she says, well, I thought you had her. And Immediately, the the adrenaline rush, the blood pressure that went through my body in that instant moment when I was looking around, looking for that little purple coat and couldn't see Willow, my mind went a million directions almost in a moment. Did somebody take her? Did she wander off? Does she think she's in the parade? Because if you know Willow, she might think she's in the parade. I said, Morgan, you go that way. I'm going this way. And so I started looking and just looking for that little purple coat. And right as soon as I was maybe 15 steps this way and Morgan was 10 steps this way, Annie, our sister-in-law, said, David has her. And apparently they had told us that they were going to take Willow and we had forgotten or whatever. And then David came back a minute later holding Willow's hand with a sausage McMuffin from McDonald's in her hand, all fired up. And uh, man, we, we thought we lost her for about seven or eight seconds. Like that's how long we thought we lost her. And I won't forget it. That just what happened to my body physically in that moment where I thought I lost my kid. And so Mary and Joseph are obviously having that experience, but at a much higher clip than what I experienced for seven seconds. They've been gone for a whole day. And, and before you get real mad at Mary and Joseph and want to call it neglect... Let me explain what it was like to travel then, and maybe it might increase your understanding of this scene. Because, like I mentioned before, Nazareth was 100 miles north of Jerusalem, right? They didn't travel alone. It wasn't Mary and Joseph in a caravan, and Jesus wasn't in his car seat, and they just didn't happen to look behind them. It's not how they traveled. They would travel in caravans, sometimes hundreds of people. A couple weeks before the Passover, somebody would post in the local Nazareth Facebook page, Nazareth in the know, hey, we're going to meet at the grocery store and we're all trekking down together. And they would, they would all get together and they would travel as a big group. And the way that it worked was that the women and the children they would be up in the front of the caravan leading the charge. Apparently, they maybe knew the directions better than the men in the back because the men and the young men would be in the back of the caravan. I don't really know why that is, but that's the custom of how this, these large groups would travel. And so question for you, where do you think Jesus was? Think he's in the front with the kids? Or do you think he's in the back with the young men because he's 12? Well, you don't know the answer, 
And apparently neither did Mary or Joseph because they got together that night and said, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. They asked Jesus' friends, has, has anybody seen Jesus today? And they're like, well, we, no, we thought they were with you. We thought he was with you. And they go to the friends and they go to the relatives and they start looking frantically, panicking, where is Jesus? And I'm sure their minds too were going a million miles a minute wondering where he had gone. Verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. So the only logical step at this point is for Mary and Joseph to retrace their steps, to go back to Jerusalem and to see if they can find Jesus. So when they did not find him, verse 45, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Can you imagine for a moment walking back into the capital city of Jerusalem, a city that you're not really familiar with, looking for your 12-year-old son and you don't have a picture of him? You don't have a phone. You don't know the roads. And half the people in Jerusalem aren't even from Jerusalem. It's a madhouse. How do you think Mary and Joseph slept if they slept at all? Two or three days searching for their son, Jesus. But then they find him sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking questions. And look at what verse 47 says. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Picture this scene just for a second. This is the temple. This is in Jerusalem. This is like the capital in Washington, D.C. And, and this is the week. This is where every religious scholar, teacher, scribe, rabbi, everybody came to Jerusalem for the Passover. This was their one chance to chop it up with their other spiritual juggernauts, talk about important spiritual issues like whether or not they should have haze machines in the synagogue. And even the Sanhedrin, the 70 most influential religious leaders, they were the ones that would be out among the people. It was the custom for them to, to answer questions and to help guide the people spiritually. And Jesus is among them. He's asking questions. He's listening. Apparently, he's saying some things too because the people are amazed by him. This is like a middle schooler talking physics with a group of rocket scientists. And he's blowing their minds. And it's interesting to me, you know, later in life, they're going to ask Jesus a bunch of questions and he's like, Never going to answer him. He's always going to ask them a question that's tougher to answer. He's going to tell them a story. But apparently in this setting, Jesus is answering them. I don't know what he's talking about, but they are amazed at his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So apparently... We're not alone if we ever get mad at God for not doing what we want him to do. Mary can relate. Why were you searching for me? Jesus said. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. These are the first recorded words of Jesus of Nazareth. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? It's the first time that Jesus hints 
at his deity, that he is God. You see, Jesus was fully God and fully man for his whole life. And I don't really know how it works exactly. I think it's a mystery to some degree how much Jesus knew as he grew about who he was and what this plan was for his life. But this shows right here that he knew that he had a very unique relationship with God the Father. And I, I don't know what Mary knew or what Joseph knew. They knew this was special because Mary had a baby and she didn't do anything that you do to have a baby. So she's going, yeah, this is special. And Joseph was visited by angels on multiple occasions about this son, Jesus. And so they get it that there's something unique and special about this, but I don't know for sure if they really wrapped their mind around it because apparently they didn't understand it exactly what Jesus was saying. In the, the video series, The Chosen, it's not perfect, but it's awesome. And I've been watching some of it recently and they depict this scene of Mary and Joseph finding Jesus when they come back to Jerusalem. And I thought it'd be helpful to let you see it. So check this out. Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Of everything that happened between six-week-old baby Jesus and 30-year-old Jesus, this is the story that is recorded about him. 
If it were a Friends episode, it would have to be called the one where they forgot Jesus. And so allow me just to cut to the chase. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, during Christmas, forgotten Jesus? It's really easy to do that. It's really, really easy to do that. And think of all the parallels between Mary and Joseph's experience the week of the Passover and then our experience in the month of December in America 2,000 years later. Think about this. Mary and Joseph, man, they are celebrating and they are seeing family and friends and they're eating too much. They have so many things going on, so many people to say hi to, so many exciting moments that week. And then in the middle of the hustle and the bustle, they just forget Jesus. They forgot their son. They didn't check to make sure that he was with them. And I would venture to say that Mary and Joseph would say, yeah, that that is the most important part. We just forgot it. And then you look at our lives and we're like, okay, we're spending time with family. We're spending time with friends. We're eating way too much. There's a lot going on. We have to get the presents. We have to wrap the presents. The elf has to be on the shelf. We've got to get the pictures of Santa. We've got to go to the zoo lights. We all hate the zoo lights, but the kids are going to like it, so we've got to do the zoo lights. We've got to blow out the candles. We've got to turn on the lights. We've got to clean the house. Well, the housekeeper's coming. The house cleaner's coming on Friday. I know we have to clean the house before the house cleaner comes. You guys know what I'm talking about. And we just, it's just crazy right now. It really is. It goes so fast and it's really fun, but there is a lot going on. Is it possible? Is it likely that we would have to be honest and say, ooh, maybe we have forgotten some of the most important part. Maybe we've made it about all these other festive things and we've forgotten that this is, this is Jesus' birthday. And, and you know, I, uh, as a dad, let me, just, let me just talk to the moms and the dads and the grandparents. Maybe you have some nieces or nephews, kids in your life. There's a lot going on right now about, are we going to let our kids believe in Santa Claus? Right? A couple different camps. There's one side over here that's like, yeah, you know, he's fun. He's generous. And he think he comes from like a saint or something. So we're good with it. And then on the other side, it's like, no, we're not going to lie to our kids. That's not good. And then there's that middle group that's like a little bit of Santa. You know, we do the Tim Allen movie and the milk and the cookies. One present from Santa. A lot of debate. I don't know where you, where you land. I don't care. I don't care. And here's why. Because for me, as a Christian person and as a father of three children, Cooper, Judah, and Willow, seven, five, and three, fertile soil, they're sponges, they're soaking it all in and they can tell what the most important part is to me. And so the most important question for me is not, do I want my kids to believe in Santa? The most important, most important question in December for me is, do I want my kids to believe in Jesus? Do I want them to believe in Jesus? And if the answer, if you resonate with that and you go, yes, yes, well, then the follow-up question becomes, okay, then Whose name is being spoken about in our home? Whose name is being sung about in our home? 
when we tuck our kids in at night, what are we talking about? Are we using December, this magical month, to remind our kids over and over and over that this is all about Jesus. God graciously sent his son a gift for us to forgive our sins. Are we talking about that? Is that the story that they're hearing the most? Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, I'm, I'm just speaking from my experience. Maybe you can relate. This month becomes about rocking around the Christmas tree and whether or not Santa's coming to town. And I, for the record, am pro rocking around the Christmas tree. And you know what? Santa seems fine. Whatever. I don't care. I'm not, I don't have an axe to grind with Santa Claus. But I'm passionate. I'm passionate about being a father and leading a church that takes these opportunities to sow seeds of infinite and eternal truth into the lives of our kids. There is no month that is more distracting than December, and there's no month that is more magical than December. And we can, we can sow these seeds into our kids, and they know what the most important part is to us. This is our chance. This is a chance. And so in closing, I just want to say we, we have eight days left. Christmas is in eight days. We have eight days. Some of us in here, you have made this month about Jesus. And for, for that, I'm proud. I talked to a, a single mom in the hallway between the two services who says this has been the best December of her and her kids' lives. And, and, and she, she actually, uh, a couple weeks ago, did the read the New Testament before the end of the year and, and her and her kids are just pushing play on the Bible app every night and just listening to stories about Jesus. She says, this whole month has been about Jesus. And I know that for some of us, that's been the case. And to you, I commend you. But if you're anything like me and you're going, ooh, we're gonna think about this for a minute. I need to, I need to consider what this has been all about for me. Then we have eight days to right the ship, if you will. Think about how insane it would be to read this story. Mary and Joseph figured out that Jesus wasn't with them. They asked the relatives. They asked the friends. Does anybody know where Jesus is? And everybody said, no, we haven't seen him. But Mary and Joseph traveled on to Nazareth, hoping to catch up with Jesus the following year. <laughs> what? No, that doesn't make any sense they would have to go back for the most important part. And so what I'm asking us as a church to do, if you're, if you're feeling anything, anything like me, is to pivot and to quote unquote, go back to Jerusalem and find the most important part again. Make sure that these next eight days are undoubtedly centered around the person of Christ. And so for the next eight minutes, we're gonna sing a song about him. The prayer team is gonna be available to pray over you and to help you and whatever you're going through. We would love for you to get a chance to pray with somebody today. But let's take eight minutes. We don't want to look back on Christmas 2023 20, and say, ah, the one where we forgot Jesus. No, no, no. Let's make it the one where we made Jesus the most important thing for sure. Let me pray for us because I think we're going to need help if we're going to try to do this. Lord, we do want to make this about you. We are so excited about everything that gets to happen. I know that, I know it's not all excitement. I know there's hard things too, and this season magnifies a lot of emotion. And so Lord, in the middle of all of that, would you help us 
Help our attention, the words that we speak, the songs that we sing, to be about Christ. I pray for a family in this church. Maybe it's my own family. When we're going to go to Spotify and we're going to press play, there's going to be a couple different playlists that are options. There's going to be some that are about the person of Jesus. And I pray that we would scroll enough to find that one and that the name of Jesus would echo in our living rooms and in our kitchens and in our bedrooms. And that this Christmas is just no question all about you. We admit that we are quick to forget about you, Jesus. But help us to remember you in full this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.